Some folks are building hopes down here in planning ahead. So busy with their fortunes, they forgot what Jesus said about the wars and earthquakes and the fig trees budding Praise be to God. Are you in that number? John saw that number. He saw that bride. And she was getting ready to leave. <laughs> Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? Good to be here to get ready. Put some clothes on. Spiritual clothes. Amen. Amen. My, it's quiet this morning. My goodness, well, I'll just get right into it then. We have, I was asked to make an announcement. Brother Jonah Emke would be here next weekend, I believe it is. Next Sunday, we'll have Brother Jonah Emke coming to minister for us. Looking forward to that. Remembering that in prayer? Amen. And I've sure enjoyed his ministry in the past, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And We want to just go to the Lord in prayer, actually. We... Really couldn't have been a better song service. He will be my song. Everything about it, let, let it be about him. You know, I was just praying this morning, you know, Lord, if there's anything that doesn't reflect you, just take it out. Just get rid of it. Let, let the Lord just be my, my life song. Let him be my, my cry, my heart's cry, and let it be known to those that are around me. That there would be an atmosphere that would be created by my presence not because of me, but because of him in me. Amen. I just want to bring a prayer request before you. I read a text message from Brother Jared, I believe it was. His sister Susan's husband's in a lot of pain, and he's not a believer, but we want to remember 
him in prayer. Remember Sister Susan in prayer. I just struck me as I was as I got the text I was just reading in my Bible from First Peter chapter three and verse one writes, Likewise, ye wives, be subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. And I just got that text about Sister Susan, her husband, who's not a believer. May the Lord use her. Would you agree with me in prayer? Let's bow our heads together. Maybe if you have a need on your heart as well, you just want to slip up your hand to the Lord and say, remember me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come humbly approach your throne of grace this morning. Father, we need you in our lives. Where would we be, Lord, without you? Father, many of us come from different walks of life. Some that the outward would look at and say that's better than this one. But Lord, all of us born in sin. Without you, Father, we would all be sinners lost. Just struggling to an end of this life. But Father, you've come with an eternal salvation. A hope that goes beyond this world and this life and this fleeting existence that we have in this dimension, Lord. Father, we thank you for that salvation that you are made the high priest of. That we can come boldly unto you and ask, Lord, a father for our sister, Lord, has taken her husband, Lord, who she stood by faithfully, Lord, that you would just be there with them in the hospital. Lord, may you use this for your glory and for your honor. Lord, may you come and speak to his heart. May it be like Zacchaeus. Lord, who threw a believing wife, little Rebecca, who is praying for him, praying for him that one day he just had to see Jesus. Father, I pray for Sister Susan's husband that this would be a time where he just have to see this Jesus that she talks about so much. She sings about, Lord. She comes to church faithfully, Lord, to honor you, to come and to get ready to leave this world behind. Father, may this be a pricking in his heart, Lord, that he would recognize you're not just the healer of his body. You're the healer of his soul, Lord. Father, we present them to you, Lord, Father, you would move according to your divine will. Father, remember the needs of your body here this morning. Lord, you've seen every hand that was raised, Lord, as my heart just cries unto you. Lord, I can't say anything that would help any individual here. But Lord, if you would come and just speak one word. If you would just come in the meekness and the quietness of your presence. The gentleness of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, sweep across our souls. Lord, meet every need. Answer every question we pray. You know, oh God, the secrets of the heart. I don't, but you do, Lord. And Father, I pray you'd come sovereignly. Meet us where we're at this morning. We commit ourselves to you. We love you. With all our hearts, we love you. From our soul, we love you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you to the musicians. Brother Ray, God bless you. John chapter 7. I ask that you just pray for me this morning. If you 
If you are closing your eyes and pretending to sleep, I'll just imagine you're praying for me. Because I need it this morning. I'm just nervous and have so much on my heart that I just weighs heavy. And I, I trust the Lord will just bring it out in a way that you can receive and that will help you in your walk with the Lord. Amen. John chapter 7, I want to take for a title this morning, The Invitation of a Meek Spirit. The invitation of a meek spirit. And really, as I've been studying this, it's been just speaking to my heart and really been good for me. So if it's for nobody else, it's for me. John chapter 7, verse 14 says this. It says, And now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but this, but his that sent me. I love his response. It doesn't go by the way of education. Say, listen, you wonder how I learned letters, let me tell you. No, he just says, my doctrine. That's not important, my doctrine. It's not mine, it's his that sent me. If any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you a law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. (laughs) Why go ye about to kill me? And the people answered and said, Thou hast the devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? They're not quite understanding what he's talking about. Who's who's trying to kill you all the time? What are you talking about? They're not understanding. He's perceiving their, their hearts. He knows who he's talking about. And they're just not understanding. But Jesus said, I have done one work. And you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me? Because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment." Amen. May the Lord have a blessing to the word. You may have your seat. As I want to speak on the invitation of a meek spirit, really I'm taking it from the the verse 18 of this chapter where it says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Really, in this lays the secret or the key to meekness. As meek is, to be meek is to put the other first. Or to be subject to another in all things. Or to be, or resignation to the divine will of God. 
Meekness is not just, is not, uh, we often misuse it or misentitle it. To, to have, be meek is to have compassion or to, to do something or, or to, be, to be lowly or something like that. But that's not meekness. Meekness is to be subject to something else, to someone else, to the will of another, to be meek to another. As I was reading, as I, as I mentioned, I was reading in First Peter chapter 3 where it talks about a wife to a husband where it says uh, the, the, the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. It does, it's not repeating itself. It's not saying a quiet and a quiet spirit. It's a meek and a quiet spirit. Is is of great price in the sight of the Lord. It's great value to God. God looks at that as as something that's worth having, and 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 that's because she's subject to, or meekness is a subjection to, or 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 it's putting the husband first, or the desires of the husband first, to have a meek spirit towards your husband. But I want to apply it. I'm not going to speak so much on husbands and wives. Um, but rather to speak on the Christ and his bride. Having a meek spirit as the bride of Jesus Christ, it, it, it is an invitation to God that if you have a meek spirit towards him or a subject spirit to his will, to his word, it's an invitation to allow God to move in your life. Because if you aren't, if you aren't subject to him, then really you're saying, I like your advice, but I don't want to listen. Because I I like the word of God and I'll say amen to it. But really I want to walk in my own way. But to have a meek spirit then is to say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Don't let me want what I want. Because even Mary, where those words came from, I'm sure she had a life plan. As most young girls do when they're just young, they have an idea. Amen. They, they want to get older. They want to get married. They want to have children. They want to have the perfect house, the baby room, the wedding, perfect, everything. They've got everything designed out. But then God come by her way. And she had to have a certain spirit that she would be willing to say, be it unto me. In other words, let me put my plans aside. Let me put everything that I've thought out, that I've considered to be, this is the way my life is going. She was already betrothed unto Joseph. She knew that her life was heading the direction she wanted it to go. But everything changed in a moment. It said, you're going to bear the reproach of Christ because now you're going to be pregnant and you're not even married. But she was willing to put all of the the, the niceties of life aside in order to be subject to the will of God. To God said, that's of great value to him. And I want to just look for a moment, if we would, at at, at, at some of the, uh, the, the, the perks of a meek spirit. Shall I say it that way? If you put up Psalms chapter 25, because the Bible talks a lot about a meek spirit. And in Psalm chapter 25, it says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Thank the Lord. He'll teach you if you're a sinner. He'll teach you how to get right. You just start to dig into his word. He'll show you the right way, the paths of truth and righteousness. But it says in the next verse, The meek will he guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his way. Those that will listen, those that will subject themselves to his way, God can only show you as much as you're willing to receive and to subject yourself to. He gives you a revelation. You've got to live by that revelation before he'll give you more. 
Amen. He's not going to just pile on you the whole deal. Brother Brown talks about the greatest of the revelation is the deity of Jesus Christ. He says you've got to start with that, that Jesus is God in order to move beyond that. You want to move beyond and get into more and deeper and better and greater? Well, start with this. Jesus is God. Jesus is all. He's the Almighty. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's all of it. He's not just part of it and this and that. No. He's all that God was, was in Christ. That was all of the Spirit of God. Amen. I didn't really want to preach too much this morning, but it's coming out. Amen. It says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Think about that for a moment. Not some of them. Not a couple of them, and there's a few paths down there that's just terror and terrible. No. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. He doesn't go down the way and say, I'm just going to make someone's life hard because I enjoy it. No, it's mercy to you that he's showing you, he's correcting you, he's putting you through trials so that he can reveal himself, his truth in a greater way because all the paths of the Lord. If you're walking in the path of the Lord, if you're walking with God, he doesn't walk down a sinful way. He walks down a way of mercy and truth. Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Hallelujah. Psalms 149 and verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Amen. Those that will subject themselves and realize I am a sinner and I needed the cross. I needed the blood of Jesus. I'm willing to say I needed that lowly sacrifice for me. Those that are willing to submit themselves to his will to say whatever it takes. If I got to come and boo-hoo and cry at the altar and slobber all over the place. If I got to get down in my seat. If I got to get alone in my prayer closet and nail myself in for a week. If that's what it takes. The meek that will subject themselves to God. He says I will beautify them. With salvation. Oh, hallelujah. There's another one today that's beautifying his bride with all kinds of makeup and sexy dress and all kinds of clothing that goes on that he wants to put out Hollywood. That's the devil. That's Satan's Eden that he wants to beautify his people, his bride with a certain look. But God doesn't look on that. He looks on the hearts of the individual and he says, I will beautify you from the inside. I'll give you a salvation, a pure heart, so that now there's a beauty in you the world doesn't know nothing about. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 19 says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. Why is it in the Lord? Because that's who they're subject to. Their joy doesn't come from an external source. The meek's joy doesn't come from some entertainment of the world. It comes from the Lord. So how will their joy be increased in the Lord? And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4 says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. Think about that for a minute. That's quite a mouthful. Reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. It doesn't say he will reprove with equity the meek of the earth. It says for the meek. 
In other words, he's doing something on the behalf of somebody. What does it mean to reprove? It's literally the Almighty will excite a sense of guilt and charge to the face with impartial, righteous justice on behalf of the meek. Think about it. God will stand for you. You don't have to stand up and say, well, listen, you don't have a right. No, let God. I asked my wife about on the way here if I could tell a story on her, and she gave me a better one. So I was there. I want to just put it out as an example. She was just in school, just a child. And she was there, and there were some tough guys at school that kept teasing her. You know, that's the way sisters are. When they get to school, public school, they wear dresses, have long hair. Some of the guys, they like to tease them about that. I guess none of you have that problem here. Praise the Lord. Either you're all homeschooled. It's all right. Even the homeschooled sisters got brothers that tease them. <laughs> Amen. But they get around these tough guys, and these tough guys like to tease them a little bit. Why you got long hair? Why you got skirts and all these things? And finally, this one tough guy came to her and said, what if I was to take scissors and just cut your hair off? My, that's quite a statement. You know, maybe the, the, the reaction of, of the human side would be to say, well, I'd turn around, I'd knock your teeth out. I'd really get after you. I'd get my daddy down here, and he'd show you. That's what we'd like to say. But you know what she did? She turned and said, I'd pray for you. I'd pray for you. She was telling me, she said, I don't know where that came from. That's something that came from the inside that just came right out. She said, I'd just pray for you. So that man never teased her from that day on. Something changed. Why? Because it wasn't her that stood up and said, listen, I've got something to say. Don't you know who I am? No. She just subjected herself to God and said, God told me to grow my hair like this, so all I'll do is pray for you. Yeah. Praise be to God. And God put such a guilt on that young man, he didn't bugger anymore. He just went, I can't say nothing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bible says, confess your faults one to another. So I'll say it this way. There was a time in school I was one of those tough guys. I used to like to tease everybody and say all kinds of things. Thank the Lord he changed me. Sometimes the old flesh still comes out. But you know, I've stood in those places where someone puts you in your place and you, it's not a good place to stand. I've been in the place of that tough guy in his shoes and you go, hmm, you feel pretty small. I know the guilt. When somebody stands and just says something for God, ooh, shouldn't have said that. Because God will stand for the meek. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As we look at that, I just wanted to read some of the perks of the meek. The world today doesn't want you to be meek. The world today wants you to stand up for who you are. You be you. Everybody needs to be accepted. And if you're not accepted, you need to create a movement. You need to start something. You need to change the world. You're the one that's going to make the difference. This is, this is the way the world is. If you, if you don't believe me, just go look. That's the way they're, they're looking at it. You've you, you got to be the one. You've got to stand up for yourself. No one's going to stand up for you. You need to stand up for yourself. Don't you know? Make a movement. Come on, change the world. They think it's good. But God looks at it a different way. He says, a meek and a quiet spirit. It's of great value. 
Matter of fact, he says that I'll reprove with equity. I'll reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he'll slay the wicked. Not going to stop at anything for the meek that will subject himself themselves to him. Now let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just in case you thought I was talking about something carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now what he's describing to you is how to be meek. Cast down your imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that rises up and says, I got this. Everything that rises up and says, but I think it's this way. Or I think the Bible's wrong in this matter. Or this doesn't matter. Or Brother Bradham, that was just his opinion. Every high thing that exalts itself. You know, I love the way Ron Brother said it. He's, I think it was Brother Timothy Pruitt. He was talking about a story where a man came to him about shorts or something. And finally he just said, listen. Brother Branham had that opinion, but he had the vindication. He walked so close to God. So if you want to say it's okay to wear shorts, where's your vindication? Are you walking as close to God as Brother Branham was? Because when you get there and you still have that opinion, let me know. <laughs> that's shorts. Well, Brother Branham has the opinion about makeup. When you get there, that close to God, and still feel it's okay. All right, I'll get off that. Cast down every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Praise be to God. Oh, and having in, in, in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Now, often we stop right there. I'm ready to revenge anyone that would talk against God. I'm ready to tell them straight. I'm going to chop their head off with this sword. Come on. We get that way. I get that way sometimes. Someone says something. It's like, don't they know the word of God says it? Brother Branham says it. Let me tell them. Let me loose. But you got to read the second part. When your obedience is fulfilled. What's he doing? He's expounding on what Jesus said. You're trying to remove the little stick out of your brother's eye when there's a beam in your own eye and you're trying to say, don't you understand? And you're not even seeing straight. First, he says, there's got to be an obedience. You've got to subject yourself to the will of God, to the word of God, before you can ever come to revenge any disobedience. But you need to be ready for it. How are you ready? By obeying the word of God yourself. Yeah. Verse 7 says, do you look on things after the outward appearance? We read something about that. Oh, yeah, John chapter 7. Verse 24 says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. 
And in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 10 says, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Jesus said, don't do that. Don't judge that way. He says, if any man trusts of himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Amen. I kind of got into this verse last time I ministered, but kind of bumbled it all around the place. So I got to get back into it. Amen. I don't like leaving loose ends everywhere. So 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 7, if you really think you're of Christ, let him think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. In other words, someone that would rise himself up and say, I am of Christ and you're wrong. Really? Maybe you're looking at it the wrong way. Maybe you forgot the, something of obedience or maybe God hasn't revealed something to you yet. Be careful where you judge. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll just put a couple verses in here. So you can help understand this verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 22 says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. It doesn't leave anything out, does it? I happen to look up, I'm not going to get into it tonight because maybe I'll get to it another time, but I was looking up the definition of life. In any dictionary, that's about 28 definitions. If you go onto Wikipedia, it's page after 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 page. Why? They can't really define it, but God is life. So all of these things that science is probing, the philosophy is probing into, everybody's trying to look, this is the meaning of life, that's the meaning of life, this is the meaning of life. God is life. God is life. As I said, I don't want to get into that too much. This is page upon page upon page upon page. Amen. All right. But it says, verse 23, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Christ means anointed one. If you're anointed, you're of God. In other words, you have something to answer to. It's not, I'm up here, I've got an anointing, I've got so I can just say whatever I want. You can have an anointing and begin to preach false. The Bram says that false anointed one is the end time. You could do those kinds of things, but he says, if you've got an anointed and you're our Christ, you've got to be of God. You've got to come from this word. If you want a scripture for that, 1 John 4, verse 6 says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. That's a bold statement. Here John's speaking about him and the apostles, and he's saying, Listen, if you're of God, you're going to hear me. If you're not of God, you ain't going to hear me. And if you don't hear me, you're not of God. He says, Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You mean it's not a sign on the forehead or something? No. It's that you can line up and say amen to every word of God. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you can't do it, if you can't listen to what I'm preaching, if you can't take what Paul's saying and say amen to it, if you can't take what John's saying, what Peter's saying, yeah. 
Oh my, I better not. <laughs> Peter talks all kinds of things that are hard. It takes some faith to dive in there, sisters. Be subject to your own husband. And even as the, the, the women of old were Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah even calling him Lord. And we want to look at that today and go, I don't know, Brother Andrew. I mean, I got I to gotta be a real woman. <laughs> if you want more on that, go listen to my father's service on femininity. Because I will preach all day on that if you want me to. 1 John chapter 4. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I said, I don't want to preach. I'm just trying to lay in some things for you. Amen. Let me just balance it with one thing. Wives are not a doormat. Abraham did not make Sarah a doormat. Even though Sarah... He lied. He told her, tell him, tell him you're my sister. Little white lie, little half lie, not really all that bad, right? But to God looked at that and said, no, that's not right. But still gone honor in Abraham's word because Abraham was his prophet. Abraham didn't blame it on Sarah. He didn't try and look at Sarah and try to say something about Sarah. No, he brought her back. That was his wife. He was so thankful to be back again with Sarah. When Elohim asked, where's Sarah thy wife? And go, I don't know, she does her own thing. You with me? He said, no, she's in the tent behind you. He knew exactly where she was. He had a relationship with her. 99 years old, 90 years old, they still had enough of a relationship. Hey, ma'am. I better get off that. I'm way off my subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 30 says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Here's Paul speaking. He said, listen, if any man thinks I'm a prophet, I'm somebody, all right, that's fine. You can have that gift. He even says to seek the gift of prophecy. Seek after the good gifts. Seek after those things. But he says, but if you got that, let them first acknowledge that what I write, because if any man or any angel come and preach any other thing, let them be accursed. He says, you want to be a prophet? Great. You got that kind of an anointing on you. You got that kind of spirit. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. But let's look back into the word of God and be subject to the will of God in all things. Not any man get lifted up in himself to think, I, I, I got this. I've got an anointing. God's upon me. I can step off the word. I can do away with the prophet. I can do away with the preachers of William Branham because he took it from this and he took it from that. And he did this and he did that. You can point out all kinds of faults. But really, if you're of God, if you've got an anointing, you need to subject yourself to the will of God and say, Lord, how would you have me to use this for your glory? Hallelujah. Now I want to get into, Brother Brad talks about in, in broken cisterns. Now if you're wondering how much time I have this morning, my son asked me last night, he said, Dad, do you think you could keep it down to an hour and a half? 
I said, yeah, we'll try. <laughs> Amen. So, Landon, you let me know when I get to hour and a half, okay? All right. He says, but this is broken cisterns, he says, but you see. He says, there's no control of it. You don't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses you. See, you're not, you're not, the, you, you're not to use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's got you. The gift is not something you take like a knife and sharpen a pencil with it. It's yielding yourself to God and getting yourself out of the way so the Holy Spirit can use you. Now, I thought that only pertained to the ministry. Nope, not for a moment. That pertains to the bride of Christ, anyone that is born of God and has the Holy Ghost in this day because that is the definition of the bride of Christ. If you're born of God in this age according to the light of the hour. He says if you've got that, you're used of it. It's not you to use it and say, well, I got the anointing, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to handle it. Let me show you God's showing me something or no. Lord, use me. Lord, use my life, use my gift, use what you put in me. Every one of us has a part to play. Every one of us, you heard Brother, Brother Rod Spencer when he took that little drumstick, what is now, what I heard the most popular stick in the message, he said, I think. And he took that, he began waving it around. What was he doing? He said, all of you got a part, and there's a great conductor named the Holy Spirit that is conducting this great symphony together. But he says, you can't get out of your place. You can't get out of your place and say, but I want to be the tuba player. I like that big, low rumble sound. No, you got to be the drum cymbal. Man, it's so annoying, isn't it? (laughs) I got to say that to the drum player. Hallelujah. Some people don't like the drums. I'm not very good at it. Forgive me. Some people really like it. They just love that little. Gets them going a little bit. Some people really wish we had drums. Some people wish we really didn't have drums. I'm not the pastor. What can I say? That's as much as I can say right there. You see, but some people, they, well, they want to play a certain part. Brother Andrew, I, I really want to be a preacher. I think I got a gift of ministry. Well, the gift will make room for itself. Why don't you just get so full of the Holy Ghost, let God begin to use you, and God will give you a pulpit to preach in. Whether that pulpit is a, is a desk like this to preach in front of the people, whether that pulpit is standing at work preaching to your coworker, whether that pulpit is standing on the street corner preaching to the sinners, wherever that pulpit may be, whether it's out on the mission field, you don't even have to preach here to go preach somewhere else. Go out on the mission field, preach to the lost and dying. Why? Because if there's a Holy Ghost in you, there's a something in you that's yearning, that's crying and sighing for the sins that's done in the land. You can't help it. You've got to say something. You've got to do something. Not to revenge all disobedience, but to try and bring them to a place of salvation. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, Well, we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things that are not seen are eternal. Amen. We need to adjust our vision sometimes. Oh, I mentioned the world today. It's, it's all about you got to stand up for yourself. That's in the things that are seen. Because that's what they're moving towards. I begin to realize the world today is driven by a spirit, uh, such a fleshly spirit. Because if you don't feel good, 
something's got to change. If you don't feel right, I'm still just dealing on a flesh level, a sensational level that you need to have the right sensation. You need to have the right feeling. Oh, my. That even couples will break up and divorce because it didn't feel right. My. There's no more principle. There's no more just. There's no more standing for what's right because of something. They're just living on a, on a singular realm of the flesh. Regardless of how the spirit feels because their conscience has been seared by a hot iron that their spirit doesn't feel what's happening because their flesh is driving them to a sensual life. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here for somebody. But now because we've been taught right in the message that we are a triune being. There is a flesh. Yeah, there's a flesh. It feels, it sees, it hears, and all these things. And there's different gates that come in. But there's also a spirit that you need to keep clean and sanctified so that God can use you. But beyond that, there's a soul. And in that soul, that's what ought to be driving an individual because that's the real you. And the only way you can lose sight of that is to become so black and dark and sin till you don't know where you're going. You're just following the sensuality of the flesh. That was from my heart because that's not in my notes. But this is what is in my notes where Brother Bradham says, Now the Bible, we've got to cast down reasonings. When your soul says, Jesus is my healer and I now believe it and accept it, then reasonings moves out. Your soul comes in the first place. Whatever God says, it won't reason at all. It takes God at his word. That's what I love about the soul and how the prophet brings it out. I'm so happy for this message of the hour. That we can understand how we are in our beings and understand why we feel the way we feel. I understand why the world needs shrinks and psychologists and all these things because they don't have a clue. They're trying to deal with it all in the mind, but we had a prophet come in and say, but there's a soul. And in that soul, there is no reasoning. It's either faith or it's doubt. And when that faith takes hold, reasoning has no more part. Why? Because that's in a different realm. That's in a spirit realm. And when the faith takes over and you become subject to that, This is really what I'm speaking about is being meek, being subject to the God that is within you. Lord, help us to be more sensitive. I was reading the other day a book to my children. It was in the life story of Brother Branham. He's talking about how he was down there in Sportsman Hall. He says, "I I could sense the Holy Spirit coming at a distance. I thought, oh God, help me to be that sensitive. That I wouldn't just say, some of us, you get Jesus, it's almost like, forgive me, but it's Jesus on top of you, slapping you across the face. And I think God's trying to speak to me. You're no kidding. Forgive me. Foolishness of preaching, you're all right. I get that way sometimes. Where literally his word is just pounding me in the face, and I'm like, I don't get it. But Lord, help me to be that sensitive word, just as he come from a distance, there'd be something to me say, Lord, that's you. Lord, that's you. As Brother Brown describes it like two times two equals four. 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 Finally, you just get it. Help me, Lord, to be that sensitive, that sincere. That I can walk that close to God that just when he'd come, just from a distance, I'd, I'd be able to sense him. It wouldn't take him to have to get on top of me and I'd just be laying on the ground. Lord, what's going on? Says the soul takes the first place, and whatever God says, 
It won't reason it at all. I'll tell you, it'll take God at his word. That's what brings the results. Such a simple thing. It's not something that's something someone would say, now I've got the power to heal you. I have power to do this. That isn't it. It's simply taking God at his word. If your soul will always agree with God's words, but your reasonings will differ with it, a man say, I just can't live the life. Well, I've heard that too many times. The little girl the other day that was converted, she said, I can't live it, Brother Branham. He said, that was reasonings. He said, but when it struck her soul, something began to become a reality then. It's not reasoning anymore. It's taking God at his word. Notice when you get reasonings cast away, the soul will answer clear. Hallelujah. We get our own thinking aside, our own reasonings. Brother Brown uses the words reasonings in there, but I want to put in there because there's also, it's not just reasonings. The reasonings is affected because the mind in the, in the conscience and the memory and the imagination and the affections and the reasonings, it all is interwoven and intertwined. You don't act in just a realm of reasoning and then I'm going to switch over here to a realm of affection. And then I'm going to switch over here to a realm of memory. Your reasonings is the way it is because of your affections and your memory and your imagination. Because you imagine certain things and certain things that happened to you as a child and you remember and you love certain things. So that affects your reasonings. You want to do it a certain way. That's why the judgment that happens in man is partial. Because they have the, the, the mental faculties of man when you bring reason, when you bring judgment. That's why Jesus says, don't judge by appearance. Because then you're judging by you're trying to say, I, 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 I like this person, therefore I'm going to rule in their favor. I like their argument. I like the way they bring it out. I like the way they dress. I like the way they look. That's why when you go to court, if you dress all frumpy-like, they, they aren't very favorable to you. When you go there, you see lawyers. They don't come in there in their blue jeans and their T-shirt or their, their, their tank tops or whatever. It's all like they came off the boat and they're just, look at me. Trust another man dressed like that here. All feminine like that. That's right. And, uh, but rather, they come in with a suit and a tie. They look all nice. And they stand up and they talk nice. Why? Because it plays on the reasonings of the judge. Because that's what your mind, your spirit realm is affected by, by all of those things. But it had the word of God has to go deeper than that. Because some of us, if we came from a childhood, I'll just be honest, if you came from a childhood where your, where your parents were very abusive, you're not going to like the scriptures that talk about disciplining children. That's just your reasoning. That's your memory. That's your affections. If you came from a, from a background, perhaps, where, where as, a, as, a, as a sister, it was very, you'd like to dress nice, everything like that. All of a sudden, those scriptures, when it starts talking about being modest and being meek and not, not dressing with all kind of golden apparel and all these things, you're kind of like, hmm, I don't like that as much. That's on your reasoning level. That's in your spirit level. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just a human spirit. But he says the word of God has to go deeper. Till it gets down in the soul where it comes down to faith. Where it's amen and amen and yay and yay and nay and nay. And that's all it is. Because now it's faith in the word of God. Where whatever it says, I'll line up to it. Regardless of what my thoughts are. This is if I could just get that out of the way. 
then I could come into his presence and be led by him. I want to take and just turn a bit of a corner here. If you're with me still, you still got some time? I haven't reached an hour and a half yet, so we're okay. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 2. I should turn there myself. Everybody's there. and I. was going to read it from my notes, but you know, I like the Bible. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 2. It's where Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And he says, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway, you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And, 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 he, and he brought the ass and the colt and put on their clothes on him, and they set him thereon. Now notice here for a moment, if you back it up a verse, uh, go back to verse uh, 5. It says, that, Behold, tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee meek. Now, in a human sense of what meekness is, this doesn't appear to be very meek. He's coming on the colt, the full of an ass. He's being worshipped. They're strewing palm trees and clothes in his way. They're doing all these things. It doesn't appear very quiet and things. But this was God fulfilling his word. That was the meekness of it. See, here is Jesus. I want you to understand something for a moment. This is almost like a false start. You can just bear with me. Because here's Jesus. He knows he has to go to the cross. He knows he has to die. He knows he has to be crucified. He knows all these things have to happen. But in order to fulfill the word, he must do this. And in the eyes of all them that are around about him, they're thinking, oh, this is it. He's going to make himself king. We're going we're gonna to have the kingdom of God. He's going to call down angels. He's going to put himself on the throne of David. This is going to be wonderful. Praise be to God. Let's put our coats on. Let's sing Hosanna. Let's put the palm trees down. Let's do all these mighty things. But here is God almost misleading the people. To do what? To fulfill his word. That's meekness. No matter how foolish it looked. Because now you got people. I want you to just step back into the reasoning realm for a moment. Now you got people that are looking at it saying, here's this man raised up against, they thought he raised up against Rome, really. And he raised up to this level, and he comes in the triumphal entry. He comes all the way down to Jerusalem. We're going to make him king. We're ready to do this. 
And now he's being crucified by the Romans. He's fake. I said, I'm in the reasoning round. Lord, forgive me for even saying that. But this is in the reasonings of men. If you were there in that moment, you say, well, listen, he came so close to winning, but he failed. But all of it was because he was meek. No matter how foolish it looked to men, no matter how ridiculous to them it seemed, it was God fulfilling his word. Down to the very last letter. That he had to do that because the scripture wrote, said, behold, he comes. Riding on the coat, full of an ass, meek and lowly. Oh, my. How many times have you been ridiculed? How many times has someone said to you, you're preaching it's the last day? You're preaching about a prophet that preached the time was at hand and he died in 1965? 50 plus years ago? How could these things be? It's all done so God can fulfill his word. So that there would be a people. Praise the Lord. The Bible says in verses, or not the Bible, sorry. Brother Branham says, in this day the scriptures fulfilled, 1965. He says, he went into the temple. We call him a meek man. He was. But many times we misunderstand what meekness is. He was a man of compassion, but yet we fail sometimes to understand what compassion is. Not human sympathy isn't compassion. But compassion is doing the will of God. He passed through the pool of Bethesda, the gate, and there laid people, multitudes of them. Multitudes is no certain number, but there laid multitudes, lame, blind, Halt, withered, and he compassed on those people always. Now, Jesus was not stone-hearted. He didn't walk through these people and go, what's their problem? I, I like that guy. I like the way that guy's dressed right there. I like him. I'm going to talk to him. No, Jesus wasn't like that. He was led of the Lord. He had a vision for one man. And he was so meek. In other words, he was so subject to the will of God. Brother Brown talks about in the, in the story of the little fishy, where he says there was dozens, I believe he said dozens, of spastic children on his prayer list. Something that ought to, that would just, oh, it would pull my heart right out of me. To have to go and someone pray for my little baby. She's, she's sick or she's sick. She's spastic. I don't, I don't even fully know what that is. But, but they're, they're really unhealthy. They're, they might die, all these things. It's a little baby. A man in his own human sympathy had sympathy towards that. But the Bible says one of the, one of the most pitiful things that just pulled on his heart was a cross-eyed child. Because of his little daughter, Sharon Rose, when she died and her eyes began to cross every time. She just pulled the heart right out of him and he'd pray there until that, until that baby whose eyes came straight. He made sure that God answered that. Why? Because of his own human compassion. But here was an example of the meekness of God where God was showing that he cared about even the little things. And he had a prophet in our day, a wave chief in our day, that was meek enough to say, Lord, whatever you will. 
And when he said, stand up and tell that fishy I give you back your life, he just stood up. It's a little fishy I give you back your life. He said, I didn't fully understand it. Why? Because there's all these children that he should have prayed for. What about the power of God to be used on this and on that? And I could see all kinds of things in my own human compassion that God should have done, but yet he subjected himself to the will of God. And here was Jesus as he walked through that pool and he went to one person that was not lame, blind, halt, nor withered. Maybe he had a prostrate trouble. Oh my. He said maybe he had some little infirmity which was, that was just a little retarded. He said he had it 38 years. It wasn't going to bother him. wasn't going to kill him. He was laying on a pallet and he said, Will thou be made whole? There was people there by that pool with life-threatening diseases. And God in flesh walked right by every single one of them down to one little man because he was led by the spirit that was in him to go to that one man. As the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, patience, meekness. It's a fruit. There's not one visible evidence of it. Not one fleshly. It's all in a supernatural realm. That's right. It's a hidden force that's in you. The life that Jesus Christ coming back on you, the worshiper. The life, the life of Jesus Christ that he lived. What did he live? So meek. So humble, so sincerely dedicated and resigned to the will of God. That life comes back on the worshiper so that you too can live that meek, humble life. If we'll just put God first. So that our first reaction will be the Holy Spirit that's in us. Not what our flesh and our mind thinks. Oh my, Lord help me. And I said, Lord, this is for me. Help me. Now my first reaction, as I talked about the story of my wife, the first reaction of many of us would be, I'll knock your teeth out. I'll get my daddy here. That's in the flesh realm. Maybe in the other realm, in the spirit realm, we think of other, some other kind of deluded revenge upon the individual. But something in the soul come out. I said, I'll pray for you. Hallelujah. He said this, it's all Abraham done, but God gave Abraham, oh my, says, but, but, but brother says to him, he says, what, what did Abraham, didn't Abraham believe God is pure unto him for righteousness? But Abraham said, that's right. The man said, what more can we do but believe God? What more can he do than have faith? He said, I said, that's right. That's all he can do. That's all Abraham done. But God gave Abraham the seal of circumcision as a confirmation that he received his faith. And I said, then when the old things passed away and everything becomes new, when you make your confession and believe and accept Jesus Christ and you become meekness. Wow. You become patience. You become gentle and faith. 
to believe God, believe divine healing, believe the whole Bible, believe everything that God says, then that's the evidence that you've been saved. God has circumcised your heart and taken away all your unbelief, and you believe in God then. What's he saying? All Abraham could do was believe God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, but God gave him an outward seal. But it wasn't something that was public. It was only he knew about it. Amen. But here we find it's the same thing today. You say, oh, I made my confession. I believe. Then there's a seal that manifests on the outside, but only you. It's only you that are aware of the change. It becomes manifested. Why? Because you become meekness. You become patience. You become love. You become joy. Oh, my. Now, if you get right with Christ, I'm actually trying to close now. If you get right with Christ, those things are, they're circumcised at the altar. All those old tempers and things. All that old unbelief, all that drinking, all that adultery, all that sin. He says, if you ever meet Jesus one time, think about 1 John 3, verse 6. says, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. In other words, if you say, I know Jesus, I'm abiding with Jesus, I'm a born-again Christian and still living in a sinful life. It never happened. It says there, those things are circumcised at the altar. When you meet, the altar is a place with you and God alone. Not literally this altar. The altar is a place where you and God meet alone. He says when God, when you confess it to God, just take it away and put a life, and puts the life of himself in you, and then you're in Christ, you cannot come into judgment. The law having a shadow, he says, if you're constantly weak and falling up and down, remember, you might have a mental conception of it. But never an experience of being born again when meekness, gentleness, and patience take the place of this mental theology. Hallelujah. Lord, help us. He says in spiritual adoption, he says, as I was speaking here some time ago, I believed the last time I was at the tabernacle on the dove and the lamb, how that God alone, no one else could do it. God had to come to earth to do the job himself. And when he represented his son in the form of a lamb, the meekest of all the creatures, he represented himself in the form of a dove. And the meekest of all the birds that fly in the heaven. And the reason of this is to do that he did this is to show that only meekness shall dwell with meekness. And humility shall dwell with humility. It has to coincide. Oh my. Think about that for a moment. Meekness can only dwell with meekness. Humility can only dwell with humility. You can't say I've got the meek and humble spirit of God in me and be the most proud and walking in your own way person. It doesn't fit. So that's the way we have to be. Our natures has to change from the roaring sinner to the meekness of lamb. He says, and identify with Christ. He says, share in his meekness. 
you'll share also in his power. Wow. The way up is down. I want all the power. We had Brother Kelly. He'll come and preach a service on that. It was phenomenal. We want that power. He talked about the V8 Hemi. He's got all that power. We like to put the pedal all the way down. We want all the power of God in our lives. Sharing his meekness. That meekness of God. We want the power of God to do what? To change the world. We got the ideology. Lord, help us never to have the ideology of the world. That I want the power of God so I can go to the hospital and heal everybody. So I can go over here and I can save every sinner. So I can go over here and I can do good in every person. And I can just meet out salvation to everybody. And everybody can be healed. And everyone can be saved. And everything can be wonderful. That's the human conception of how we ought to use the power of God. But the, in order to be a partaker of his power, you have to first be a partaker of his meekness to be subject to his will. So share in his obedience and you'll share in his resurrection. Do as God said, do in my heart. The greatest thing I can think of is to be, is to be like Jesus Christ, to be identified with him. There is why I baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ, because he is our identification. I want to say that he is our identification. We thank God for every miracle, but that's not our identification. Yeah, we thank God for every wonderful thing that's done in our midst, for the jobs we have. We thank God, but that's not our identification. We thank God for this church building, but that's not our identification. Christ is our identification. If you are of Christ, then you are in God. That is your identification. Hebrews 5. I'll just read to you verse 8. It says, though he were the son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he enjoyed. Nope, thank you, Sister Terry. Shaking her head real hard there. Praise the Lord. Sorry. We know the scripture. He didn't learn it by sitting on a beach. He didn't learn it by everything coming easy to him. Mommy and daddy vetting it out to him, saying, it's okay, son, you got this. By the things that he suffered, he learned obedience. Wow. See, but I want to revenge every disobedience first. You've got to suffer. (laughs) Praise be to God. Thank the Lord for my trials that I could suffer for Christ, that I'm counted worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There you are, brothers, he says in Revelation chapter 5, through meekness, through sweetness, through the Holy Spirit, that we conquer. Hallelujah. Uh, I thought it was through like a great power that we just speak and everything happens. No, he says, through meekness. I should have put this one up on the screen. Through sweetness, through the Holy Spirit, that we conquer. Hallelujah. If it comes in a great whirlwind and power, praise the Lord. If it comes by humbling yourself and saying, Lord, I'll just pray for that person. Praise the Lord. That's how we conquer. Can I take five more minutes? Amen. All right. Thank you, Brother Lord. Five more minutes. The exposition of the seven church ages says they 
were truly yielded to him, the true church. They were truly yielded to him and kept by his omnipotence. They were not concerned about the persecution that came their way. Pain and derision was not cause to give glory. Pain and derision was but cause to give glory to God. That they were counted worthy to suffer for him. And in thankfulness for his salvation, they burned with the light of his life and reflected his love, patience, meekness, temperance, gentleness, faithfulness. And God backed them up with wonders, signs, and miracles. They were accused of being fanatics and holy rulers. They were denounced by organizations and held in mockery, but they kept true to the word. In other words, listen, he says, if you can just be a reflection of his meekness, of his patience, if you can bear the fruit of the Spirit. As last time I was ministering, I was ministering on the spiritual fruit of the supernatural fruit perfected in gross darkness. Because it's a light that comes from Christ. You don't need a light in the world. You need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine in your life in order to perfect this fruit of gentleness and meekness and peace and joy and all of these things and love. You need God in you in order to do it. He says, if you can just be a reflection of him, he will back you up. Hallelujah. He will reprove with equity for the meek. He will stand for you even when you can't stand for yourself because you don't need to. Immediately, as soon as you stand for yourself, you take it out of the hands of God. As soon as somebody misuses you and you turn around and snap back at them, you've just taken it out of the hands of God. But if you could just be meek and say, I'll pray for you. (laughs) I'm just going to keep using that. I'll pray for you. As simple as that, you say, well, I need to stand. Well, yeah, you need to stand on the Word. Not to stand up for our ideology and our opinion of what we think is right. We need to stand on the Word of God and what God said is right. That's what we stand upon. This is now in the message leadership. This is leadership. This is right down the end of Brother Brown's ministry, December 7th of 1965. He says, now I don't want to hurt you, but this is not a joke. This is thus saith the Lord from the Scriptures. It's exactly true, friend. I'm an old man. I haven't got much longer to stay. I've got to tell you the truth. This is my last message. It's the truth. Notice, I just wanted, I wanted to read that paragraph first so you could catch the sincerity that Brother Adam's about to say this with, that he's pushing in his heart saying, this is it, but don't joke around about it. This is thus saith the Lord. He says, and you fellows hanging there on a creed and knowing the word of God being vindicated right before you, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and these realities that we have today. And then because of your creed, turn away from it. How can you be the son of God and deny the word of God that's predicted in this last day that we're living in? How can you do it? Right down in the sincerity of his last message where he begins to preach. And he says, listen, don't walk away from this message. The word of God that's been vindicated true to you. And you try to say, I'm a son of God. I'm going to walk out. Don't do it. A real meek spirit of the Holy Ghost can't walk away from the word. What is the invitation of a meek spirit? It's to put the Holy Spirit first. A total subjection to the part of God that is within you. Hollywood glares while the gospel glows 
with humility. God ain't in these great fine fancy places and all this stuff that we come. He comes in humility. In form of meekness and gentleness. Pass right through. Catch this next statement. And if you're acquainted with the word, you'll see it. Hallelujah. He that hath an eye, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Praise be to God. Read it one more place. He says, and Jesus Christ is saying yesterday. It's a good place to close. Today and forever. He says, so it's just more. His Spirit that was in him on the day of Pentecost, the pillar of fire that was made flesh, dwelt among us. It went back again and divided itself on the day of Pentecost amongst the disciples, tongues of fire. God separating himself out amongst the people so together we could be a unit of God. Hallelujah. True meekness. That if we would be subject to his will together, we could be a unit of God. Hallelujah. That his will would be made manifest in us. His word would be lived out through lives. If we could just, because it wasn't that there was any more of the spirit, but the man talks about it. And as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. How that God separated, took the spirit that was in Moses and separated it out into 70 men. I actually love that scripture. You can go read it in Numbers chapter 11 where Moses, it happens and God takes the, 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 his, Moses' spirit, the spirit that God put in Moses, and divided it out. Brother Brown says they didn't have any more spirit. So all of this spirit was originally in Moses and God took it and divided it among 70 and they began to prophesy. And you know, if you keep reading down, there was two of them, Eldad and Meldad, I think, and they were out there in the camp prophesying. And even Joshua came and said, Moses! These two guys are here in the camp. They're not in the tabernacle. Moses says, hey, this is God's doing. <laughs> you can read it. Numbers chapter 11 when you go home. Moses takes a step back and says, why are you jealous of them for my sake? God did this. This ain't got nothing to do with me. And here the scripture records the very next chapter, chapter 12 of Numbers. It says, and Moses, who was meek above all the man of the earth. Oh, my. Moses, who had a right. I could ask for a show of hands. How many of you stood before a literal burning bush and got called of God? I put my hands in my pockets. I can't raise a single hand. I didn't stand before a literal burning bush and see it in this dimension. And I, I've, I've spoken with the great I am. I trust you have too. Amen. It's the same Holy Spirit that's here today that was there then. But I never stood before a literal burning bush that was not consumed and spoken with a voice that spoke out of the bush with me who commissioned me to go and preach the gospel. I never had that. Moses did. I've never stood here and, 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 and said, let there be flies and there be flies like, all over the place. Let there be frogs and there be frogs by the millions. And say, let the water turn into blood. I never had that. Moses did. Right? Moses could have stood up there and said, listen, to Aaron and Miriam when they come. I mean, Aaron, forgive me. I'm just speaking from my heart now. I'm closing. Is this okay? I'm trying to just deliver it off my heart to you. Aaron was there. He was there for every step of the way. He was the one that held the rod. 
Moses spoke to Aaron, and Aaron said, let there be flies. Moses spoke to Aaron, and Aaron put the rod down. Because God told Moses, you'll be a god, and, Moses, and Aaron will be your prophet. This is how it's going to happen. And so all of these, Aaron had first view of everything that was going on. He's seen the meekness of Moses, and yet still he stood up with Miriam and said, you're not the only one. You've made a mistake, Moses. You married Zipporah. And they begin to blame him. And Moses could have stood up and said, Aaron, you were there. You've seen. And just the chapter before, Numbers chapter 11, you want to know what happens to the miracle in Numbers chapter 11? God creates quail. Because they seem to have forgotten that he could create flies and lice and frogs and all these other things. So all of a sudden, they start complaining about meat. So God says, hey, forgive me, I, I need to just say it this way. So I'm just speaking to you from my heart, so bear with me. God just tells, tells Moses, and he says, Moses, they're going to have so much meat, it's going to be coming out of their nostrils. <laughs> Careful what you ask for sometimes. Start whining, complaining, Lord, I need, Lord, I need. He says, all right, all right, all right. I'll give you. <laughs> he did that to Balaam one time, too. Balaam kept complaining, I want to go, I want to go. God said, all right, go. Stood an angel in the way. And it wasn't for a donkey that got anointed enough. He would have been dead. He died by the sword a few years, like for a little while later, anyways, in a battle. But now, here was, here they were, and God says, Yeah, I'll create quail. And you know when you create quail? Two cubits high. I think that's about that high. One day's journey that way. 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 That high. The very next chapter, they come and say, Moses, you're not the only. You married Zipporah. They started to get jealous of him. And even Moses was so meek to God, even when God told him, I'm going to make meat so much that it's going to come out of their nostrils, Moses kind of looked, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. If you read Numbers chapter 11, that's exactly what happened. He said, God, I don't know. How are you going to do this? Are you going to kill all the cows or something like that? What's going to happen? How are we all going to do this? God says, Relax. I'm able. So finally, here we come, and Moses, who records, and he's writing in, in the book of Numbers, and he's writing it out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Moses, the most meek man among all. I just love that. I'm sure as he was reading it later on, he goes, why did I write that? No, the Lord wrote it. He just used his hand. Amen. And as he comes down, he could have accused them. He could have said all kinds of things. He could have told them about all the miracles of God. He could have spoken to them about all the other things that I'm sure probably aren't even recorded in the Scripture. Because if you get right down to the last page in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the book, it talks about how there's not enough room in the book to contain all that God's done. So there's other things that God did to Moses even that weren't contained in the book. And he could have told them thing after thing, after vision after vision, all these things. But he didn't do that. He just said, let him alone. Let's go before God. Let's go before God. So he just went before God. Why? Because God called to them and said, the Lord heard. Think about that. God heard their complaint to Moses. They weren't talking to God. They were talking to Moses. But God heard it. And God said, come here. This is a meek man. I'm going to re reprove with equity for him. I'm going to do something for him. 
because he trusts me. Because he does what I tell him to do. You want to know what it cost Moses the one time he didn't do what God told him to do? Remember, much anyone in here could tell me. He couldn't go over the promised land. Because God said, speak to the rock, and he got out there in his own anger. The flesh got in the way, and he smote the rock a second time. Broke the scripture, and God said, I can't get you to go in. Why? A life of it. What a type to say, if it comes right down to the end time, where Brother Branham would say, if they broke one word and they were kicked out of the garden, how do we expect to get back in disbelieving one word? Lord, give us grace. We need more of him. That's the way it's got to be if the musicians come. More of you. Till there's nothing left in me. Don't let there be any part of me. Let me just be subject to the will of God. Are you with me? In that same message as I was with Moses, Brother Brandon would begin to talk about them going through the wilderness. And as he was going there through the wilderness, he come down. They come down to the land where Esau was. And they said, just, God told them, just pass on through. Don't worry about them. Just pass on through. They said, well, we're brothers. He said, well, that was only half true. They were half brothers. He said, but that, that wasn't what God was looking at. God was looking to say, no, you're, I've given you an inheritance beyond the river. I've given you something greater. Where now Brother Bram takes that into today and he says, don't worry about all the ones that are saying, oh, but we, we got the anointing, we got this, we got that. He says, I've got something greater for you. I've got a land beyond the river. And he even talks about, he says, that's not even a type of the millennium. That's the Holy Spirit, the promised land. I've got a spirit for you that will lead and guide you into all truth. That will put in you such a meekness, such a humility, such a gentleness, such a kindness that you can't explain it by your own human knowledge. You can't. You can't explain how God would put a spirit in, in Abraham Lincoln that would say, if it costs me my life, I'll free that black man. Because as a child, he's seen a slave. And he made it almost like a vow right there. If, if, if it costs you my life, whatever it costs me, I'm going to change that. I'm going to hit that, I think he said, when I get older. I'm really going to hit that. What happened? That wasn't a man. I believe that was God trying to put an inspiration in a young man's heart. It wasn't about changing the world. It's about freeing God's people. Because there's some people that are colored, some people that are white, Filipino, all kinds of things that are God's people. All of us. And we're not separated by race and color. We're brought together under one spirit. So that together we can be a unit of God. Let's stand together. Amen. Don't you love the Lord? Sorry if it was a little hard this morning. As I was praying this morning, I just got up early and was, was waiting on the Lord. I thought, oh God, help me. So if you, if you want to, I'm pointing at you. Remember this, there's three fingers pointing back at myself. One to you, three to me, one to God.
saying, Lord, help you times one, but help me times three. I need it. You with me? We need to be. This is, this is a time. This is an hour. This is a day. We need to be so subject to the Lord. I, I want to go into rapture. I want to go there. I want some great power to just sweep down. How's it all going to happen? Be it unto me, Lord. Whatever it takes. Whatever I have to do. Whatever I have to lay down. Whatever I have to submit to God. So be it. There's a gland beyond the river that's far greater than anything this world has to offer. Amen. Amen. What song are you playing? Amen. Okay. Heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Oh, may I be make your own seat a little Say, Lord, make this my heart's cry. Change my heart, Lord. Make me like you. It's the greatest says it's the greatest thing I could ever ask for is to be like Jesus Christ. Let the life of Jesus be upon me, the worshiper. Don't let me have any input, Lord. You're the potter. You are the morning read a lot of scripture I see one thing maybe just take it home with you say Lord make it real to me help me to be meek humble to get quiet in the presence of God and just follow his will I'll be pushed about by everything that the change of the world and the, the way that they want to try and push in a certain way let me say Lord what's your will in all this what would you have me do in all this? Remember, God hasn't forgotten you. God doesn't forget his own people. He won't forget himself because it's him in you. So just ask him, say, Lord, what's your will? What would you have me do? Amen. The best thing you could ever do for a church, for a revival, for the ministry, is to ask, Lord, what can I do? And when you get an answer, go do it. That's key. When you get an answer from God, go do it. We want to sit back. I'm just actually setting a stage for something else, if you bear with me. Don't take a step back. Well, it's not what I wanted to do. It's not what I really was hoping to was the answer. No, if you're going to ask, Lord, what can I do? Then you better go do it. 
That's how you're led of the Lord. That's why I prayed, Lord, help me be more sensitive that when you would speak, maybe it's just a whisper, two times two equals four. Let it come a little louder, two times two equals four. Two times two equals four. I've called you to do this. Amen. Would you love him? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's just a solemn atmosphere. Lord, I pray this morning that it wouldn't, somebody wouldn't walk out of here and say, I, I just can't live it. Father, let it drop real down in their soul and be a reality this morning. I know of myself, I, I can't do it. But Lord, help me just to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that catches a hold of the Word of God by faith and all things are possible. Father, we love you. We love it when you just come and speak to our hearts. And Forgive me, Father, if I said anything of myself this morning. Or as you know, it just weighed so heavy on me really for the last week, week and a half. Just to deliver this, Lord, Father, you would help us. We'd have such a subjection to the Word of God as we are the bride of Christ, feminine in designation, that we would be meek before you, our Lord and our Master. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We ask you be with each one. Lord, may you just come, make it real. In Jesus' name I pray. What's that song, Brother Ray? I said it was a really good song before. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. You will be my song. Let's sing this together as you're dismissed. And the service tonight, remember the service tonight in prayer. You know my need, all that's been spoken. You hold the pieces up that's been broken Even when a melody won't come Even when my words are not enough You'll be my song You'll be my prayer Lord, you will be my strength, and you will lift me up. You will be my portion and my redeeming love. You will be my song. Before I call, I know you'll hear me. is gone, still you are near me, even when the answer is delayed, even though the darkness I will say, you will be my song, you
Redeeming love, you will be my song. 